Welcome to Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. I'm Bill Tilly. I am Rob Schulte. Rob's. Yes. How are you doing today? Deep breath. I am okay. Oh, uh, that sounded well, almost I, convincing. I am great now that you and I are behind the mic. That's how I feel. Yeah, life tends to throw things at you, and you're like, why Why does everyone want to make things complicated? Ugh. Why not have easy life? Oh, I could get along with that. I Oftentimes through the day, I just wonder why everybody wants to do it the hard way. I was feeling that way today, and then, dear friends of this podcast, my buddy Rob sent me a link to some shows we're working on, and I got to listen to us talk, and I immediately felt better and was starting to <laughs> really look forward to tonight. So shameless self-promotion on the my part right there. Hey, whatever we can do to feel good, right? No kidding. Hey, as long as it's all legal and nobody gets hurt, let it rock. I'm right there with you, Bill. And what better way to feel good than uh, watching feel-good movies for the holiday season? Am I right? There isn't much better than that. And I'm so glad that we didn't do that. Instead, we watched <laughs> this movie, which is actually a gift from you to me because everyone, Rob and I have decided that for the holiday season, we're going to trade a movie back and forth. Between the two yeah. of us. And Rob got to give his gift to me first. And it was the gift of the movie that we're here to talk about tonight. Rob's, what movie did you give me for this experience? The Long Kiss Goodnight from 1996. It is just a joy. Um, Bill, I got to tell you. had Well, first, have had you ever seen this? I had not seen it. I had known about the movie. I had seen the posters and stuff. I had seen it in video stores after it had come out and got re-released. Because uh, Gina Davis is in it. And this yeah. is some peak Gina Davis stardom years right here. So I knew it was there. I knew it was an action movie. Kind of knew it was sort of some kind of maybe spy movie or something like that. And really didn't know anything else about it because I just never got around to watching it until now. Uh, I think I should say, before we read the back of the box, that, well, actually, Bill, let me read the back of the box, and then we can talk about any extra thoughts I have. Because if people haven't seen The Long Kiss Goodnight, first of all, you're missing out. You could watch it. You can, I think you could probably watch it before or after listening to this podcast. Oh, definitely. Sure, we we may spoil things, but it's a it's an action thriller that is in many cases paint by numbers but very fun regardless on if you know the final scene the middle scene or the first scene there's no real surprises in this movie no it's definitely not one that can be spoiled if you don't know about it and you do listen to this podcast it's just going to make you want to watch it so yeah we're all good yeah. All right, so I've pulled out my VHS copy from my parents' basement where I watched this all the time. Uh, Academy Award winner Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson star in this explosive, action-packed thriller from director Rennie Harlan. After eight years of amnesia, school teacher Samantha Kane learns she was once a lethal assassin for the CIA. And now, her former employers want her dead. Pursued by a high-tech army of corrupt government renegades, Samantha teams up with a wise-cracking detective who helps her uncover her past before it buries them both. Featuring blisteringly special effects and eye-popping stunts, The Long Kiss Goodnight is one fun, mind-blowing thrill ride. Specifically, blowing yep. thrill ride. Yep, that is how it is on the description. Rob has pronounced that exactly as it is spelled. So yeah, this movie, directed by Rennie Harlan, if people are not aware, Rennie Harlan has directed Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, possibly the best Nightmare on Elm Street, a movie called Prison, which, let me tell Okay, so first of all, Cliffhanger, Die Hard 2... You know, what? what's the pirate movie? Cutthroat Island. Dude, Cutthroat Island was the first movie I saw in stadium seating when that became Whoa. the trend at movie theaters. Now, you want to get some history. 
the first season of Pumpkin Spice Podcast that is not available anymore. It is, I have the files, but I did not, I do not put this episode out anymore. It's a former host, my friend Graham. We were testing the waters. It was my first podcast ever. We covered all the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Mm -hmm. And that is where I heard of the movie Prison. Graham did a Rennie Harlan impression. (laughs) And he said, my first movie was Prison. It's about a haunted prison. (laughs) And I remember it just being one of the funniest things ever. And I finally watched Prison this year over the holiday, over the Halloween season. It was awesome. Awesome. That's great. Hey, I listened to those episodes. I remember them. So yeah, that's cool. You got to do the big circle back on something like that. And I like the fact that he could say a sentence that was literal and figurative. His movie was prison. (laughs) But Bill... Going back into first season, I mean, what am I? It's only a matter of months ago, but the first season of this podcast, this movie was written by Shane Black. Mm-hmm. Now, inform the people of Shane. Well, Shane was in a movie that got us to start this podcast in the first place, Predator. Shane has also written a bunch of other stuff and been in a bunch of other movies. He was in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. He worked on Lethal Weapon, The Last Boy Scout. He wrote Iron Man 3, if you were fortunate or unfortunate enough to see that in a doubleheader like I did. So it was a little bit rough. <laughs> another Christmas film. Yeah, another Christmas film. So, And Shane also was involved with The Predator, the 2018 wouldn't call it a reboot really it was sort of a Mm. sequel but reimagining yeah bottom line (laughs) is if if this is your first show with us dear listener please go back and check out our predator series and you'll learn about shane black trust us yeah shane black just so we're totally clear wrote lethal weapon wrote last action hero wrote the monster squad like these are it's not all the Predators no. and Iron Man 3s. No, he was a hot commodity. In fact, if I recall from the notes that I wrote down, Shane Black was the first screenwriter to net the $4 million for a wow. screenplay back in the day. And it really set him apart from a lot of his peers who kind of scorned him over the deal in a lot of ways. So I'm not sure why. I figure probably most was because they didn't get $4 million for their screenplay. But Shane was the man to go to for a lot of things. He was known especially for his action movies and writing. So this is definitely got his fingerprints all over it. So just to run through some other cast members, because this has a bunch of that guys in it. Um Main character, Gina Davis. She plays Samantha Kane, a.k.a. Charlie. Um, there's, As we have stated, there's some amnesia in here. Um, Sam Jackson plays Mitch Hennessy, the ex-cop private eye. Uh, Brian Cox, who we will see again in just a matter of weeks on this podcast. I'll let your imaginations run wild. He plays Nathan, a former CIA operative person that worked with Charlie. Uh, Yvonne Sima is Caitlin, Samantha's daughter. Craig Birko is Timothy. That And this is when we start getting into that guy territory. Mm-hmm. Tom Amandez is Hal and a bunch of other bad yeah, guys. David but, um, Morris is Daedalus. Oh, yeah. Yes. Saw him come on screen, and when you see the one get the and David Morris on there, <laughs> I was like, oh, here we go. because We're going to get a strong 10 minutes with this guy. Yep, let's see. Is he going to play nice guy saying elsewhere, or is he going to play <laughs> patented bad guy? And we got, we got bad guy in this one, so that's cool. But who is bad when we're talking about government operatives? You know, Bill, like... <sighs> I thought our government was just good. So how could anyone be a bad guy if they work for the government? Here's the thing, Rob, and I've I've always thought about this a lot. You know, I don't know why anybody goes to work for the bad guys because eventually they're going to turn on you. They especially just, in Hollywood land. They just are. But you know, if you go to work for the government, especially if you're in black ops for them, at some point you either get old or you know too much and they're gonna send somebody after you and they all know it. 
in most of these yeah. movies, they all know that this is coming. So I don't know why anybody really takes this job or why they don't retire. I guess they just disappear. I, if you went to their actual knock list in real life, I suppose they should all just end with, you know, West destination unknown, whereabouts unavailable. <laughs> just take off, man, because your retirement's not looking good. But this movie does put a big old twist on that, which I actually really enjoyed. Yeah, I think we should talk a little bit about the movie because part of the twist, it's hard. Like, okay, here's what I wanted to say before I read the back of the box. Um, there was a point in time in my life when I was young that, and tell me if this was ever you, Bill. Like, I don't know if I had some sort of comprehension problem in my youth, but like, I used to watch, say, for example, Dumb and Dumber, right, for, like, on repeat. And it. in looking back, it was like, okay, obviously I was, you know, that movie came in, like, when, like, 94 or something, so I would have been in, like, third or fourth grade, and it's like, Jim Carrey, slapstick, goofy jokes, right? Right. And then I watched it maybe two years later, I'm getting into middle school, or, you know, sometime around then, I was like, oh, there's a whole, like, kidnapping story here. Right? Yes. It's plain as day the entire movie. They spell it out to you. you. It's not like they're hiding the fact that there's a kidnapping story. But I just, that wasn't what I was focused on when I was watching that movie in my like younger youth. This movie, I used to watch all the time. It was on repeat on HBO. I ended up getting it on VHS. I had, it was 96. I very much. Enjoyed some of the Gina Davis moments. Um, and watching it now, it's like, I did not remember the whole bomb blaming it on Muslims as a fundraiser, inside job, terrorist, last 30 minutes of this movie. Uh -huh. Like... I, I remembered everything else. Like, like I was obviously coming out of that phase of, of watching movies for slapsticky or whatever I liked about it. But I knew that she was a CIA, ex-CIA operative. All of this, I just completely forgot about that last 30-minute plot line. There. You have become Charlie. You realize yeah. that, Ross. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, have become totally. the character of this movie that you love so much. Was that ever anything in your world, oh, too? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. It happens. I'm not alone here. No, I have come to call this the Summer of 69 effect. It's the point when you realize that Brian Adams' song, The Summer of 69, is not about him being in the Summer of 69. <laughs> it has a whole different connotation revolving around that number, and you go, oh, I didn't see that for 30 years. Until somebody mm -hmm. points it out and goes, dude, that's not what that song's about. You're like, oh, I get it. So, yeah, I you still do... I think it's the reason why we, you and I, do a lot of this is we look back on the things that we love fondly and we see all this new stuff that we didn't see before, for good or bad. And it also helps us kind of re-enjoy it because, yeah, you're hooked on the action, Jones. We watch these movies, you're like, oh, okay, this is just one crazy stunt after another after another and it can keep your attention till the end of the movie. And now you're a little bit older and you're looking at it going, oh, yeah, I'm actually listening to the dialogue and yeah. wondering why they're saying what they're saying. And I'm you're piecing together in your mind. It's kind of that story logic that you like to have fun with and go, all right, why would they do this? Or what wouldn't their next move be this? And because you're thinking that you listen to more of what these characters say. And sometimes that's good. And sometimes that's just plain crazy. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everything I've ever seen in the past is just like, oh, you know, and sometimes it's bad. There are things you just can't watch anymore. And like when the when the laugh track kicks in hard on a 70s sitcom and I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe yeah. I won't watch this entire season of, you know, Sanford Arms. Maybe I'll just watch this one episode and I'll, I'll be OK after that. I remember she's the sheriff being so much better than this. Yeah. And but I also remember a lot of the time when these movies, you know, everybody was firmly in their roles of action hero, this, that. And, you know, I remember watching this movie and knowing Gina Davis was in it and just being like, I couldn't place this movie at first. I'm like, I understand what you're telling me what she is, but that's not traditionally the character that she plays. Mm. So it was, it had me from 
jump as to what was going to happen next, which was great. I really enjoyed that part. What, what should we, should we do a quick run through? Should we talk about some of the main set pieces of this movie? Oh, absolutely. I would like to start in the fact that this is a movie that takes place in some kind of mythical winter wonderland effect <laughs> state. Like this movie is shot in the cold, man. And I, I'm yeah. watching this whole movie and looked into it later and realized the places they shot everywhere. they It's all practical. It's all location. It's all shot in the winter. And it looks cold from the beginning to the end of this movie. And you know, like I do, just being a normal person driving in, bad weather is rough. Trying to work in it is the worst. And I'm just watching this movie as we go along going, it. these filmmakers took it to the wall for effort to get done what they got done. It just looked like this was a terrible terrible experience for a, in a lot of ways and reading up on it turns out it was they just had oh, yeah. lots of struggles with weather and the locations they had to shoot in and everybody's freezing and it just kind of stays that way there's no break in it or anything so that really was it, it had me just on the locations going oh my god these people must have had a rough day when they came to work yeah, it's uh, one of those movies. It's a Christmas. It's set during Christmas time, but it's not a Christmas movie. Right. You know, this is the. I'm surprised there isn't an online debate on why this movie isn't a Christmas movie or is a Christmas movie. You know, that's shocking because I'm watching this movie and I hadn't seen it before. And when it opened up with some Christmas montagey stuff, I'm like, all right, Rob's got me. Somehow this yep. is in here, and I'm like, there's a lot more of Christmas setting and looks in this movie then there isn't die hard and that's the exactly movie that starts that debate all the time but yeah it's actually kind of it's loaded with christmas imagery it doesn't actually oh totally there's gift giving yeah there's gift taking yeah the um, gift of whoop ass being delivered left <laughs> and right that's what this movie delivers so basically we meet uh gina davis's character samantha slash charlie uh, she gives us an opening monologue narration. It's about the only narration we get through the movie, but she just sets the scene. You know, she's been, she's lost her memory for eight years, but she's established her life. When she came to, she was, you know, like what, six months pregnant, eight months pregnant, something like something that. Something like uh, that. Yeah. She was, she was with child. She was. And, um, but she's established, established herself. She's got a, or she's got a boyfriend. She's got the kid. Um, small town life. It seems like it's a very Vermont type of area. Um, <laughs> you say that, and I thought of that too. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of getting these weird new heart meets a Christmas story type of vibes because yeah. the town yeah. is very Norman Rockwell. But as soon as that voiceover kicked in and she went, I can't remember anything after the last eight years. And I was like, how do you forge a life out of that? That's just amazing. Yeah. And she's a school teacher, which I'm pretty sure takes a bit to be who you are. So we're going to get into yeah. that. But that was like, oh, this is going to be something. Yeah. Well, she has the famous line. She's like, you know, I used to have the hi hire the expensive detectives. Now I'm down to the cheap ones. No one can come up with anything. We meet the cheap detective. Sam Jackson is Mitch. Uh, the, him and his team like stumble upon someone who had a suitcase that had belonged to her before when she was uh, crashing at a place for a CIA gig. Anyway, he's been the only person to connect her with anything. They go on a road trip to figure out who she is and discover that she is an ex-CIA operative the CIA meet with the president when he makes a sandwich and he's like, essentially get rid of her. And then, so they try to get rid of her. I, I'm, I'm a little blurry here, Bill. Like why does she need to be getting gotten rid of? I think that they, her old CIA boss needs to get rid of her before she pieces together that he was in bed with the, uh, bad, with guys the bad guys. Yeah. Who but are, the president just doesn't want to know about it. No, the president doesn't, quite understand what the problem is that scene caught me a little off too i think he was really tied up into making that sandwich but he <laughs> was just more concerned about like you can't have any more money for the cia mr bad guy yeah. director, no and you apparently got a rogue agent look dude just take care of it. it's late i'm in my jammies i got yep. presidenting to do in the morning and he just doesn't understand what's going on but I do love the fact that he delivers a, a zinger in the 90s that would have just blown everybody out of the water today when bad guy detect bad guy director asks, you know, about this money and the president informs him, you know where your money's going? Healthcare and cut scene. Yeah. I was like, yeah. whoa, nice drop. 
He's like, yeah, uh, I'm not paying for all of these black op missions anymore because I want to provide for my country. Yeah, and I think that would work today if we just did a little more of our messaging instead of kind of going roundabout. If we just did it in a movie tagline, if somebody did it on CNN, you would stop and watch that clip. So Yes. Uh, Anyway, she gets all tied up in this and is running for her life and eventually gets all of her memories back. And then it's like this debate between like, do I go back to my former life while also trying to take out these bad guy rogue agents? It all coalesces because she's got this key that she had left back at her home to get all of her money and fake IDs to then go live together. But she realizes she loves her daughter. Many explosions, set pieces, and diffusal of bombs later actually no bombs get diffused in this movie nope Um, they all go off she lives happily ever after uh once she saves the day now there's that scene i talked about just moments ago bill where it all kind of comes together right Mm -hmm. cia doesn't have enough money anymore they try to get rid of her so she doesn't piece together all of these rogue agents about to commit treason and do some sort of inside government job and blame it on some other country so that for the people to know. And that's to release a chemical bomb in a small town. Is it her small town? No, <laughs> it is not no, her small town. Because it's by the Canadian border. It's by the that's Canadian right. border. So it's yeah. on it's Niagara Falls. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um and it is so Without getting too tinfoil hat-y here, it is very similar to a lot of things that happened right at the beginning of the 2000s. And it kind of makes you, you know, we always state this, you're about 10 years older than me, so you might have a fuller memory of this. But it is one of those things where I'm not saying anything was an inside job that happened in real life. But you can see probably why uh, people who are probably their memories fading a little bit like to yell on Facebook about things because plots are written in movies before things happen. Like, see, exactly. They were trying to tell us the whole time. Oh, yeah. There's lots of Nostradamuses out there on Facebook who are going to Mandela effect their way into going, I knew this was coming because I saw the long kiss goodnight in 96. This is exactly what he even talks about this thing and that thing. And the government was about, I mean, the thing is, it's a trope that's been around forever. The idea of the rogue government operative agency director, that stuff's always been in there. I mean, good Lord, the, the MCU did it with shield and Robert Redford and captain America. It's just turning a good guy section on its head is a thing that just, has been around forever and it's bankable and it works. I mean, it's a yeah. great trope, but it, it makes perfect sense. It's, it really ramps up the tension. So, but uh, people do have a bad habit of employing these things and saying, Oh yeah, I saw that's because this it was about. in Hollywood. Yeah. That must mean that it's in real yeah, life. And I think what we really fell into was, you know, let's face facts. I am a little bit older than you. I can tell you there's things that Hollywood did back in the day that seemed ridiculous that have played out in real life as you go along. So that is something how these movies hit home when they come along. And humans do like to make connections. Yeah. Like whether or not, even if they're like for tragedies, it like connecting the dots, even if it's working backwards to get the solution they want exactly like, is like a sense of like mental comfort. So I get that. And yeah. especially in movies like this, which are a lot of gray area because you know, nobody's perfect and there are good and bad people in everything in every business and every corner of everything, even in the, unless you're a business of two and you're both perfect, that's maybe not, but you know, we're, you're used to that. They're, they're out there. So you got to, got to watch it. And this movie's just full of them. So, you know what I like to say, Bill? What's that? Poe Buddy's nerfect. <laughs> that's, that's watch that's for like that t shirt coming to Bill and Rob's <laughs> merch shop. Yeah, and Spencer's gifts ripped me off. Oh. Um, 
Bill, we could talk a whole lot more about this movie, but I was being strategically vague in the like action set piece sequences because a lot of them are very cool. Oh man! And I do want people to go watch this movie. Um, I have to say, you know, it was a little eye rolly when I was rereading the back of the box where it's saying like blistering special effects and eye popping stunts. But I watched this with Mrs. Columbo, and she was like, "Wow, this movie's got a lot of like special effects." And I was like, "Does it?" You know, like not, and I was like, yeah, it really does. There's a lot of like action set pieces, which is the same thing now because it's not all done with CGI. Granted, there's a lot of blue screen and stuff on here, but Mm -hmm. it, yeah, there's a lot of like explosions and special effects in that scene. There's a ton of them. This movie moves along and it shoves a lot of stuff at you. There's bullets flying all the time. There's an incredible tanker truck moment. At the be at the end of this movie, that's the big climax, which is it really is that thing where I call it stretching the image, where they've clearly shot it from a bunch of angles, so they want to get their maximum effect. Yeah. And once you put it together, things will happen for an extraordinarily long amount of time. Like the skid that takes ten seconds for some reason takes forty five, but yeah, it's yeah. it's just so over the top that hey. Go take me with you, movie. I'm down for it. This is great. So there's helicopters. There's buildings that explode. There's a lot going on in this movie. And it is pretty much all practical to the point where they actually did burn down one of the buildings on the set. One of the hotel was an abandoned hotel that they didn't care when they put it up there. Is that the thin ice one? Yeah. Scene? Yeah. Dude, that scene, I always like relive it like... There's a lot of stuff in this movie that does reward more watches. And of course, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, uh, the uh, script guy or whatever. But like, I like being able to see the thing where you're just like panning over. You're seeing them like scope out the joint and be like, oh, yeah, they did show the thin ice sign. And then it's rewarded yeah. when they shoot the Uzi through it. Yeah, you know? it's one of my likes for this movie. I like the uh, the overall pace of this story. It's showing you what's going on and what's around you. You have time to actually look at everywhere they are and kind of take it all in and go, oh, you know, depending on the situation, they have a meet at a train station. And we've kind of seen this scene before, you know, meet in a public place. And you're like, oh, okay, that could be a problem. And that's the thing over here. And boy, what if this happens? And then it all cuts loose and you're in the middle of the action and it's great. And it's weird because this movie is always charging forward with its story. While at the same time, mentally, it's going backwards because it keeps digging farther and farther into Charlie's past. And the more they unearth, the more it pushes her in another direction. So it's not just the plain old, you know, oh, here's a piece. Let's we got to get to another place. Here's a piece. We got to get yeah. to another place. It's just they're just swept along in it, and it it's really fun. It's just a fun pace for a movie like this. Well, and I think it's just great that we've both like seamlessly gone into like our likes for this movie because we could be like listing off a whole bunch of them. One thing I haven't said in my like section though, Bill, is that when. Charlie gets all of her memories back and she's, you know, like she's dying her hair or she's bleaching her hair and Sam Jackson's healing and like making cocktails and stuff. Uh, he's watching a movie uh, on the, the Atlantic City television in their hotel. And that movie was an Elliot Gould film called The Long Goodbye. Nice. I just, that fu- that's fun little stuff. You know, oh, that's a fun little touch for right there. And yeah, and one of the things I haven't mentioned, which you brought up when you're talking about Gina Davis and her transformation, I love Gina Davis in this movie. Yeah, this is her against type. Of course, she was married to Rennie Harlan at the time, so this was a bit of a package deal, but it was good. I think when I'm watching this, because I don't expect this, I didn't know what to think out of Gina Davis. When you see her holding a gun on the cover of the VHS box, it's like, this just feels wrong. I, I recognize you from Fletch and the fly, you know, she's just, she's a sweetheart. She played that role for so long. And you, I had to sit and just wonder how is this going to pan out? And when you start seeing her get throwing punches and get punched in the face and get shot at and just start karate chopping dudes, Part of your brain, especially mine, having watched so many of the things with her, it doesn't want to buy it. Mm-hmm. But I did because 
she did it great. Yeah. <laughs> she just did a great job of looking. And honestly, because she's so sweet and you had that bit of knowledge of her before, every time she said something psychotic, it really freaked me out. Yeah, because you have like Cutthroat Island before this where you kind of get the taste of her being an action star, but she's still not like this type of action star. That's like period piece, right? Right. And then, but before that, you only have like, you know, we're from a league of their own, and, and Thelma and Louise is probably the big ones. And plus, she's playing two characters in this yep. movie for part of this movie. So the whole thing, although I will say the dream sequences in this movie, wow. Yeah. <laughs> they really worked real. It's like they got the filter from Days of Our Lives, that blue screen background, and threw in some that mid 90s Friday the 13th the series type of special effects shattered mirror yeah. scene going on but whoa what New but Jersey yeah. cliff was that too <laughs> I, I don't know but good on Gina for taking this role and thank you studio as I looked up some trivia for this movie for fun and realized they were going to at one point switch the leads <gasps> on this movie and they were going to they were afraid that she couldn't carry the movie so they wanted it to become a male lead no, and they were looking at no, Seagal no, 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 or Stallone no, to no, do this no. bit and it would have just destroyed this movie it would have just been terrible to see what's going on with it because Gina being Gina and not fitting the part you're, it puts you off balance and makes you kind of want to see where the next step is well and so. especially with all of the like sexist comments you get in the like first 15 minutes of the movie you know you've got <sighs> like the newscaster who's like uh santa got what he wanted for christmas and you've got like the drunk guy at the party and stuff like Like, those things i think influence us wanting to be to like really root for samantha to like and feel for her and then when you see this switch to charlie it's like oh shit no one would ever talk that way Do you like pilots? Do you hate pilots? Are you indifferent to pilots? Have you ever met a pilot? Have you ever flown your own plane? They get uploaded. They're uploaded to YouTube. They're all on YouTube. They're right there, just for you. They're for free. Nobody's watching them. Why would you watch them? But guess what? There's two people that love to watch them. It's Stuart and Joe. We watch them so you don't have to. We're putting in the work. We've got cow people. We've got reincarnated dogs. We've got wizard superheroes. We've got extremely short private investigators. Hobo probate law. We've got a dog with the brain of a man and a man with the brain of a dog. We tell you not only what happens, why it happened, who it happened to, what happened after. And why it stinks. So come watch Piloting Error. People don't watch it. Come stand behind me in my basement while we make the show. Could you bring me another beer? What's the network? Only on the Bridge Burner Collective. Wherever you're getting your podcasts. You're right about the dialogue, especially that. And that kind of actually wants to segue into one of the points I had. One of the things I don't like about this movie all that well, every single character in this movie has their quip dialogue cranked <laughs> to 11. Yeah. And it's an action movie. And some of these lines, most of them are great as they're written. And a lot of them are delivered well. But every character is off the charts. And it's hard to get a standout from anybody mm-hmm. because they're all all their dialogue is just so cutting. So you have to watch them just keep trying to elevate and elevate and elevate. And it's it takes a while to keep up with that train of just act over actor. And it's some of them go too far and some don't, which is and luckily Gina doesn't, which yeah. is for the most part, which is great. I think Gina and Sam Jackson were written very well and it with a little bit less of everyone else they would have shined more but it does get to be a little bit more murky water because everyone has to have a line or a quip or whatever and i think we ultimately get how this style of writing can really fail 
like this movie's good and has a fun story. The Predator does not have a fun story and isn't as good. And all of these people have quippy lines, and it's like, uh, oh god, like yes, I can't deal with this, you know. And I remember saying, it's like we just don't care about any of these people. So this movie yeah. makes us care, which is good. It gives us enough time to breathe and see what's going on to actually want to see what happens next with their main character but everybody else in the background really could have been taken down a notch or two and it still would have been fine i'm just going to merge a couple of these so the movie drags slightly now you made a good point about like it keeps moving forward the pacing's really good and i agree and i think that there's something to be said because this movie's only like two hours and ten minutes something like that um there's something to be said about movies being a little bit longer in the late nineties because it was an event. You go to a movie, these are things you do, but with the somewhat convoluted CIA stuff, I think it could have just been trimmed and streamlined a bit more like Daedalus. Is that what it's yeah, called? That's, <laughs> um, that's the David Morris character. It's operation honeymoon. Yes. That is also what's going on with the truck at the end, but we get this whole set piece of him torturing her, and it's like, well, who's the bad guy? Is it the bad guy who's putting the bomb on the truck, or is it this guy, or is it the CIA guy? There's like three people that are the bad guy that, well, if you trim one of them out of there, then... We can probably trim at least 15 minutes off of this film. Absolutely. And it would have been the director. All the extra stuff with that could have gone right out the window. And he could have popped up right at the end and you'd have lost nothing. And you'd have cut at least 15 to 20 minutes out of this movie, which I actually started to feel the length of this movie towards the end. It started to feel long. And I'm like, even for a 90s movie, this is a bit much. Yeah, you are absolutely right. The the CIA director is what could have been cut. Like, I remember, well, just watching it for this time, when you see the outside of the White House, I was like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. I forgot, like, the whole Pelican brief element to this movie, you know? (laughs) And just to put a, a bow on my dislikes here, you brought it up a little bit earlier. I was starting to talk about it. She was in a coma for eight years, right? So 1988... To 1996. Yeah, and well, she'd been, she'd only had memories back eight years. It had been eight years since she woke up from her coma, right? Yes. Um, With no memories. Yeah. She's had amnesia and has only been living right. for eight years, essentially. Reborn eight years ago, I think is her quote. Um, but yeah, she establishes herself in this whatever Vermont town or wherever it is that she's at. She's had her child. She has a like very strong relationship and she has a career as a school teacher, which yes, that all can be done in eight years. Having the child, you don't have much control over that time, right? Right. But waking up, not knowing who you are, establishing a place where you can have a child, make a living, And also then, like, with all of the other struggles of just having no memory, like, it feels like she must have just gotten that school teaching job at most two years ago. Like, because there's probably six years of, like, how the fuck do I survive on no memories, no family, no support system, no nothing. Yeah, no social security card. Like, nobody had... Any questions? She just woke up, and then, and it's a thing movies and TV do that drives me crazy. Like the person has absolutely no way of moving forward, but yet they yeah. do. Next time you see them, they've got an apartment, they've somehow got a new job. It's like, and everybody in this town knows that she's got amnesia. They all have, they make fun of it. It's like an in joke, and she's totally cool with it. But she has adjusted remarkably yeah. well for somebody who has. No memory except for less less than a decade old and apparently just started out two months pregnant yeah. when she woke up with all these things like no movie that's a bit that's a bit much to t- to accept i i would love to know more um 
But Bill, you actually have a really good point on your final dislike that I didn't think of until this viewing. Because it's been quite a few years since I watched this movie last. And I think that'll be a great point to kind of wrap it up before we rate this thing. So bring it on. Yeah, I don't like the ending of the movie. It's not what I expected to see at all. I honestly figured the movie would end after the last really great big set piece. It's kind of what movies do. It sort of gets the diehard mm-hmm. ending and then we get more and we, yeah, we could have just made up in our minds what happened next. Yeah. yeah. Like if you watch and we were going to make this parallel a lot. If you watch Die Hard, when they drive away at the end of it, you're not really wanting to see them go back to the hotel, eat, change clothes. Discuss their marriage. Talk about what they're going to do next. Discuss their marriage. Like, you don't need all that. And at the end of this movie, they they explain the happy ending that she gets. But they don't. They just show you some stuff, and you're not sure, does she become a, a hybrid of Samantha and Charlie? Like, she's got the – they're in what – Looks like the last scene of the Highlander. They're living in the Scottish Highlands, it looks like, and running around barefoot in With this goats? cabin. Now, granted, she's found her she's found her large pile yeah. of money that she has hidden in a, a locker, which everybody With, does. Uh fake IDs and passports. With fake IDs. And she gives the president a call and he wants to give her her job back, which is interesting. So we're proving that he's a good guy. But it just doesn't make any sense. Where the hell are they? Why are they doing it? What's going on? How did she explain what happened to her when she went back to, to the Stratford Inn there in Vermont, where apparently she lives? I don't know. I just I wish they hadn't done it. I would rather have ended on the big badass movie set piece with everybody bloody and survived and you're just done. Yeah. I feel like there's probably an area where like Rennie Harlan is like, well, this is kind of ambiguous, but it's not a definitive ambiguous ending. No, and I would guess based on the fact that this is Gina Davis. And I would be surprised, and I have no way of knowing this, if the studio or he didn't go like, well, once they find out that she's really Charlie and had been Charlie, who is not a likable person and is kind of terrible in a lot of ways. She's a killer. And by most standards for a lot of people would be irredeemable. They kind of have to get her back to Gina Davis and I feel that somebody said that. We're like, nope, we can't end like this. We got to get her back to where. So we see her again with her hair longer again. The, you know, the killer cuts Still gone. bleached. Yep, still bleached. But she's wearing a sundress, running barefoot through the through the flowers. And I, I, they, could, they didn't need to. They should have stuck to their, should have stayed strong of where the movie was going and just dropped it. Well, and I think if the movie would have done a little bit more of her dilemma, on what her life oh yeah as samantha was versus charlie it would have been a little bit easier to deal with but instead we get like one scene where she tries to make out with sam jackson and he's like no you're just trying to prove you're not her and her being like fuck you i'm i i am me that wasn't me and then like her feeling for her daughter once her daughter gets kidnapped. And it's like, well, sure. But like these two, like 10 second moments in the movie aren't making me compelled as a viewer to want to know the internal struggle that's happening between Samantha and Charlie. I totally agree now that you've pointed it out because that was something I couldn't put my finger on the way to say it was, Okay, she gets her Charlie memories, but it's almost like Charlie is a separate personality, mm-hmm. that, and that's not how that works. She just got her memories back, so she kind of struggles with it. You know, she learns how to put the gun together and do things that she didn't think she could do: throw the knife and spear a fly from across the room. But <laughs> she just—it's it, weird because they treat her as two different people, and she's really not. She's one. Yeah. You know, she should be using these skills and making new decisions as she goes, but they just kind of treat it as an on off switch in a lot of ways. And so if you're going to do that, you know, at the end of the movie, Charlie's on Samantha's off. And by flipping the script back around and just going, well, now I don't really know. It just, I guess she's just a nice girl again. And she's up in the, up in the mountains of Scotland running around and or not- Montana or something like it. Well, and then why does how, I mean, like, sure, they've got some money, but it's not like they have money to live off of for the rest of their lives. 
And is he not the most understanding boyfriend in the universe? Well, I do. Hey, one thing. Okay, you're absolutely right. But also, this movie, ha- he is. Okay, I just don't think you would get it these days in a film. He gives his Christmas speech, right? At the Christmas party oh. before she hits the deer. And he's uh-huh. like, um, I don't drink and I don't I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't curse. And that's what I'm thankful for. Oh shit, I do drink and smoke. And that tells you about him. Cause he's also a school teacher who drinks and smokes and curses. And it's like, uh-huh. okay, he kind of lives a dual life. You have to be this like school teacher persona, but he also doesn't care if he imbibes and smokes and curses. And it's like yeah, he has to be the most understanding guy in the world, but like if they're both school teachers, like what are they doing? What is their job? This is obviously a whole different area than where they were living before. But we could go on and on and on, Bill. I'm, we could. I'm just going to end it and I think my head candidate is he finds it hot. <laughs> I think he finds it kind of hot and he rolled with I it. I think so they both enjoy gonna... this. They are both I think so too. They're getting a new spark in the uh Yep. three-year relationship yep. at most. Um, yeah, they send the kid out to run in the fields while she throws knives from across the room into insects, and yep. he just sits there and watches and enjoys it. <laughs> How are we rating this one, Bill? Well, we're going to rate The Long Kiss Goodnight with our patented special episode rating system. Uh, back in the day, if you walked into your video store, you would find a section normally called something like Five Nights for a Dollar, a rack of movies that you could rent for one dollar and keep for up to five nights. And that's how we show our appreciation or non-appreciation for the movie. It's how long we would keep it. So, Rob, for the long kiss goodnight, you've walked into the video store, you've got your copy, you've thrown down your dollar, you've taken it home, you've got up to five nights to keep this movie. How many nights are you going to keep it? Well, this is my choice, and this is my mm-hmm. rental. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that ever since we were in elementary school, up and through work life, you essentially get your holiday week. Right. You may only get Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off technically, mm-hmm. but no one's working those days leading up to it. I know that I, you know, I, if anyone that employs me listens, I work hard every single day, even on holidays, you should, you know. And I'm not asking for overtime. But one, maybe cutting it a little early on their Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Maybe clocking out around three or four instead of, you know, working all the way to five or six. And I think uh, I would need this movie for those evenings if I were that employee. And I think I would need this for Christmas Eve. And I think I would need this for Christmas Day. Whoa. So I think I'm going to have to go with five. I'm keeping this for five nights because, as I've stated in today's episode, you're always finding something new in the long kiss goodnight. He's giving it the long rental tonight yes, is what he's giving the it. the long rental. Nice. I like it. I like it a lot. For myself, uh, I'm not going to be too far behind. The one thing that's going to maybe shorten my holding on to this movie is... It is a long movie. It is yeah. a bit of a long movie. So I could see myself over that five night rental watching this movie at least two more times after the initial. But it's a really good movie. And it's really great to see Gina Davis in an action role that you're just not going to see anywhere else. So, And this was a, a fun thing that you did when Hollywood took a chance on a movie and you went, I mm. don't know, and you watched it. It had you hooked. And this movie had me hooked. So I think I'm going to keep this movie for four nights. Four solid nights. I would be able to watch this thing. I might have to watch it in chunks by night three and four. But I'm probably going to run back over it and try and catch all the little bits and bobs and what was going on. And try to watch all the stuntmen fly off of the bridge as things blow up. And see all the things in the background that crashed and exploded that I didn't catch the first time around. It's really, it's really a good movie. It is a definite Rennie Harlan movie through and through, beat game, and it does what I always ask from a movie: entertain me, and yeah. in a fun and exciting way, and don't bore me. And this movie's exactly that. So four solid nights for me for the long kiss goodnight. Ah, this was so much fun, Bill. I love getting into the holiday season. I and nothing's uh, better than a gift of a movie from your friend, dear listeners. I can't wait 
to hear what you've chosen oh. for our next one that we're going to put out here in just a matter of days. So I will say this much about it. It ain't going to be like this movie, but it's really going to leave an impression on you when it's done. Awesome. All right, Bill. Another great episode. Another ho, 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 great episode. That's Santa oh. Claus busting in. Oh, uh, my goodness. Yeah. So, Bill, you know the best thing people can do is give this episode as a gift to a friend. And if you would like to go even further, check the show notes for how you can give a gift to us to keep the lights on. Um, Sharing is caring. And a happy holidays to you. Bill, what else can we tell the folks at home? We can say thanks to all the people that listen and contribute to the success of our show. We'd like to say special thanks to Mrs. Colombo, Jothan, Patrick, Draxium, Dr. Z. They're great. They've all contributed to our show in many ways. Please check out their own things out there. And just thanks to all of our friends out there. We don't have fans. We have friends. And you're the ones that keep us going. You are our currency. And please do, as Rob said, give this podcast to someone. Put this in their pod stocking. Yes, yes. And you can check the show notes of this podcast episode to stuff all stockings everywhere with joy. Bill, we'll see you next time on Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. Bye. Bye, Rob's. Do you prefer your podcast to have solo narrators to two people telling private jokes? Are you looking for a podcast that is about true crimes and unsolved mysteries and not, I repeat, not two friends hanging out and rambling about nonsense? Do you like podcasts that stay on topic 100% of the time? If you answered yes to these questions and reenacted an unsolved mysteries podcast, it's not for you or the folks that left us those one-star reviews. We are just two pals who love the 1990s show Unsolved Mysteries and have no interest in actually solving mysteries from the episodes we watch and recap. Come get spooked with me, Robert. And my friend and relatively normal woman, Crystal, every two weeks as we talk stack, ghosts, UFOs, food, and occasionally crime on Reenacted and Unsolved Mysteries podcasts.